You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 16. As you're turning there, let me encourage you to uh, come by the church uh, this week, uh, this holy week during lunchtime. We're going to be uh, having a gathering Monday through Thursday at lunch. Uh, a light lunch with a little bit of singing and then a devotion that will be on uh, the Holy Week, the final week of Jesus' life. And so that's every day this week and then uh, except Friday and then Friday night we'll be having a special Good Friday service here at the church. I think the times are in your bulletin so I'm not going to quote them and mess them up Um, but you should be able to find those in there. And then, of course, followed by next Sunday, Easter Sunday, and uh, we look forward uh, to gathering in worship uh, for that. So what a morning, uh, what what a week to look forward to, beginning uh, this particular morning as we look at God's Word. And I was thinking this week just what a timely word this is for our church uh, here in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 uh, through 16. We have... uh, as many as you know, we've had some tensions in our fellowship recently. And I uh, know your heart is likely burdened just as my heart is over uh, those tensions. And I think the temptation comes uh, in those times that we sometimes seek to form sides uh, rather than to seek the fellowship uh, that God has called us to uh, in His Word And I just want to encourage you with that and and then how timely this word of God comes to us today in Romans 12, uh, verses 9 through 16. So let's give our attention to it this morning. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to us and and the timeliness, Lord, that your word often comes to us, Lord. And we pray today that you would be among us and with us and help us, Lord, to have ears to hear and and hearts that are, are, are ready to receive, Lord, what you would have to say to us. And, and I pray, Lord, as every week of my dependence on you, uh, Lord, that you would use me as your servant. Uh, I pray that you would increase and, and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said... Um, these words to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. He said, 
John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And it sure seems like Paul had these, uh, that verse on his mind, that word from Jesus on his mind when he wrote this passage here in Romans chapter 12. Um, the, the, the mark of a life that has been transformed, at least one of the significant marks, is that uh, a life that manifests itself in love for one another. But what does this love look like? What, are the, what does it look like specifically, if you will? When you think about love, um, Christians are not the only ones to uh, think that we ought to love one another. Even in Paul's time, uh, the Jews taught that you should love one another. And uh, in, in a sense, I, I think even the pagans would, uh, would, would try to argue that as well. And chances are you have someone that you know, maybe a neighbor, maybe someone, uh, a friend or co-worker who is moral, who is upright, but who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, but yet who is loving, uh, loving toward, towards you or others. What's different about the love that they have, a lost person has, versus a love that a believer is to have? and that what is called for here in the Word. Well, for one thing, there are some unique features of this list that distinguish it, I think, from an unbeliever's love. Um, for example, verse 11 talks about serving the Lord. That's different. Uh, verse 12, being constant in prayer, probably different. Verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints. Uh, that is, those who are not followers of Jesus would not normally engage in those kinds of, of things. And so there are some uniquely Christian items here in this list in Romans 12. But I think more importantly, though, and more significant, is the, the motivation behind these, this love. Because remember, all of these exhortations here in this passage to love are a result of a heart that has been changed, that is transformed, verse 1, by the renewing of the mind. That is, these commands are rooted in God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. Our love and zeal and our hospitality and our sympathy and patience and refusing to repay evil for evil, all of these things are intended to be a response to God's love for us. This is what Paul has been setting forth in the earliest, uh, earlier chapters in Romans. For example, I uh, encourage you to remember Romans chapter 5 verse 1 where Paul describes our salvation there. You remember he said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to how he describes this salvation. Verse 5 of Romans 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He goes on to say in verse 8 of chapter 5, reminding us that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it was out of God's great love that he saved us, right, church? And that love, he says, has been, when we are become Christians, that love is poured out into our hearts by his spirit living in us. 
And so Romans 12 turns that love that believers receive from God poured into us to now a love that is to be poured out of us toward God himself, but also toward others, and particularly those in the church. We love because of God's prior love on us. Our love is a response and an outflowing of his love that has been shown to us. And so we see love and patience and generosity and sympathy. These are not the same things when they flow out of a life that has been the recipient of such matchless, undeserved love from God. There's a commitment here. There's a determination here. In fact, we're going to see as the list goes on that it's going to get harder and harder and harder. There's a depth of love that, that distinguishes someone who's been transformed by Christ. Everything in this list is to the, the if degree. Nothing in this list is a half-hearted kind of love. No, this is a love that is concrete. This is a love that's not vague. It's not it's not uh, sentimental. No, there are clear commands, and Paul is calling us to refuse to settle for anything less than to love by the same love which, which we have been loved by our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus. In view of His mercies, verse 1, he writes, this is how we're to love one another. And so what is it that distinguishes this Christian love? Well, Paul gives us here, now hang on to your hats, 12 ingredients, 12 components. My goodness, you thinking I should have brought a lunch today. Um, I trust that we'll, we'll make it through. These, uh, these ingredients or these components, I think, are just as radical and strange today as they, they would, were in the first century when, when Paul listed them and wrote this for us. Let's walk through and look at them. The first kind of love or the first component of love that Paul speaks of is sincerity. He writes in verse 9, let love be genuine. Literally sincere. Let it be real. Let it be authentic. Uh, or the word there, let love be without hypocrisy, he says. In the Greek plays, an actor would come on stage wearing a, a particular mask. Sometimes it was a mask that was supposed to be funny and make you laugh. At other times, a mask that would be a tragedy and everyone would weep uh, that. He was a mask wearer. He was a hypocrite. That was the, the definition of the word. But Paul says here, Christians aren't to be mask wearers. It's not enough to play at loving or, or uh, worse, to talk of loving, if you're not actually loving, treating others, caring for others in love. A follower of Jesus Christ, one who has been transformed by this renewing of the mind, one that has had God's love poured into his or her heart at salvation, is a person who actually loves. It's genuine. It's not switching masks. It's not they're one way in one, one time and there's somebody else uh, in, in another. No, there's a love that is sincere, a love that is in both word and deed. 
Such love, secondly, he said, is marked by discernment. Verse 9, the second part. He says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. It's surprising uh, to some people that the word abhor or, or the word hate is actually used to describe Christian love. But nevertheless, it's Paul's word, isn't it? The fact is, he's saying to us that we cannot rightly love without hating rightly. That a part of our love actually involves hating what is sinful, what is wrong, what is evil. Boy, the world is trying to distort that love, the, the word love today, isn't it? Trying to distort God, who is love. But the Bible couldn't be more clear that the biblical, a biblical love involves hating what is wrong. Listen to this, for example, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. It says that this is, this is the Lord who is love. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. These are things the Lord hates. And the reason God hates sin is because it harms those whom God loves, you see. And Christian love, like God's love, hates that which can harms the one, harms ones that you love in your life. This point is so important because I think oftentimes when love can, can get distorted in our minds when it comes to viewing good and evil because our hearts and love, they get so bound up with someone that we love. We get, uh, we get emotional but when we, we think about it uh, because we love them so much, but therefore we'll often be tempted to give the loved one uh, what might bring them joy in the moment rather than what is good and right. And so there is the temptation. I think parenting is a great arena uh, in this. I remember when my little daughter, Lindsay, had done something um, to, I don't remember what it was, but she did something to one of her siblings, and it was not kind. And my, my wife just stood back and says, are you going to do something about it? That was the first time I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to discipline this child. It like to have killed me. Anybody else been there? Your heart is so bound up, but yet what was good for her soul and her life was for me to discipline her. The result of childhood without discipline is almost always disaster, isn't it? Genuine love hates sin because it always leads to destruction. So true love cares enough even to say to a brother or sister in Christ, hey, what you're doing is wrong. That's sin. Please stop that. And, and, and come back to God and His ways, and He promises to forgive you. That's what it says. Galatians 6.1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. He didn't say, ignore the sin, because that's loving, or even to condemn the sinner, 
But rather, he said, Christian love encourages repentance and restoration. He concludes, James concluded his letter, chapter 5, verse 20. He says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What could be more loving than to save save a sinner from death. Love abhors evil and it clings to what is good, Paul says. Third, Christian love involves affection. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. It means to have a, a warm and fervent love. It's the, the word love there that's used as kind of that brotherly love or the way that a, a family would share love, a parent's love for a child or a brother's love for his sister. And Paul here, he reapplies it as a, a tender. He, he's saying there to be, there's to be a tender, warm affection that should characterize us as, as believers in the church. You see glimpses of this in other places. Here's one such when Paul pictures the church as a family. 1 Timothy 5.1, he writes this. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. But notice how he frames it. As you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. In all purity. You can see how he's, there's a family kind of love that he means for us to, to model and to be shared. And, and, and this is why we often refer to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it? There's a family love. Paul says we're to be devoted to one another in this brotherly love. Fourth, he says in verse 10 there, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. And showing on. To honor is to treat someone valuable or precious. How do we love them? We treat them as such. Again, the world's concept of love is often self centered, it's often about you. Uh, about you. you do this for me, I'll do this for you. You love me, I'll love you. It reminded me of two little girls who were both trying to ride a rocking horse at the same time. And one of the girls turned to the other and says, you know, if one of us would get off, there'd be more room for me. <laughs> How often we think that way. But, but one who's been transformed by the selfless, life-giving love of Christ, what does it do, Paul says? It seeks to outdo one another in showing honor. This means taking the lead, doesn't it? It means that the disposition of your life is, is Philippians 2.3, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility to consider others better than yourself. We're to try to outdo or surpass one another in this, he says. This is e eagerly looking for and, and pointing uh, uh, out the good in people, honoring Christ in them. It's an unselfish kind of love. Fifth, a fifth ingredient in Paul's recipe for love is enthusiasm. Especially when it comes to serving the Lord. Verse 11, he says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Again, those verses seem to be about our relationship with God, but he's speaking them here in the context of relationships. That's what this passage is about. It's about relationships with one another. And he's reminding us that our service to the Lord has an impact on other people. And so part of our love for one another is to lay aside lukewarmness and to zealously, enthusiastically serve and and love the Lord. I think I may have shared this uh, at some point, but uh, during the days of, of old England, the Wesley brothers, Charles and, and John, were known uh, as enthusiasts in church history. They were Methodists, but the institutional church called them enthusiasts, and, and it was kind of a term of disdain for them. Uh, disgust. The Wesley brothers were accused of wanting to bring enthusiasm into the institutional church. And the church was bound and determined to keep it happening. There was a church outside of Cambridge, I've not been there, just heard about it, that uh, existed during the time of the Wesley brothers. And on the wall of that church is this plaque. And here's what the plaque reads. It says, erected in memory of Jacob Mirfield." who served as pastor among us for 30 years without the slightest trace of enthusiasm. <laughs> hmm. What, what, what Paul says, be fervent in spirit. Be aglow, literally. Be aglow with the Spirit of God. That Christian love is, is marked by a zeal to love. A zealousness to love and to do good works. And part of the way that we love one another well is by serving the Lord with zeal. Using our gifts, as he mentioned in verse 6 and following, to build up the body of Christ. Sixth, such love, I think we're on a good pace. We may make it. Sixth, such love is marked by patience. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. I think the patience that he's speaking of here is a steadfast endurance, a patience that is, is connected to and, and driven by a hope, he says, uh, that God is in control and going to make things things right. Paul, in writing these things, he must have known that we would have to be patient with one another in the church, uh, that we would not always act as we should act. He said something similar. Matter of fact, there's a lot of comparisons between this pas passage and 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. You remember some of the things he said there, love is patient, patient. Love bears all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. You even see some of that, that very language here in Romans 12, 12 with rejoicing and hope and patient and tribulation. Um, Paul is exhorting us, isn't he, to, to use all of the spiritual resources that we have been given to to not give up on brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, to keep hope, he says. To remain patient with one another in troubles and, 
and to address all of this in constant prayer, he says. Constant prayer. Is there any more important word for our church than this verse right now? Ask yourself, am I, am I among those who are running towards these kinds of responses? Is this the attitudes of my heart? Is this what I'm seeking? Am I being patient? Am I being hopeful? Am I being enduring? Am I constantly in prayer? Or am I seeking and doing and opposing these things in my life? Notice the seventh and eighth marks together. We include them together in verse 13. That is generosity and hospitality. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So what is he saying? He's saying that love is both generous and hospitable. The word generous there is really close to the word koinonia. I know you've probably heard that Greek word before, maybe, maybe not. It was used to describe the first church in Acts chapter 2. Some churches have even taken their name as koinonia, the the fellowship, if you will. It's a beautiful picture of the love of God among uh, his people, where, where it's members, you remember Acts 2, where they shared everything in common in the sense that they shared their possessions with anyone who had need. And uh, there's, there's just a great uh, a family community uh, kind of aspect that just as Christ had so freely given of himself, these people, beginning of that church, were giving themselves to others. And this meant giving financially at times. It meant giving materially at times. I always rejoice when I see things like this in, the, in our church in particular. This is one of the places I think our church, at least we try to excel at, um, whether it be these meal trains uh, that are organized for, for, through our Sunday school classes for those who are uh, recovering from surgeries and, and so forth. Maybe it's a project that is done by our deacons and the boots on the ground teams uh, meeting these kinds of physically, uh, physical, material kinds of needs. I rejoice in that. that. This is the love that James and I think First John spoke about. He said, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, that's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, he says. So that's the dimension of love Paul is emphasizing. Hospitality, the second part of that, was especially important in time in the biblical times. There weren't, weren't hotels so much, uh, inns, the places to stay. And so Paul, the churches, that people are moving around like Paul, Christian, the, were opening up their homes, using their, their resources um, to love others. And so I think this is a, a call to us, not just to have social gatherings, but to genuinely look for opportunities uh, to use what God has given to be a blessing to others. It's practicing hospitality. It's pursuing opportunities to love people and to care for them. And uh, church, we need to continue in this good work. Amen? Knife, Christian love, is marked by blessing, he says. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you and bless, do not curse them. Now, I think this verse is anticipating verses 17 through 21. And uh, 
where Paul is shifting away from loving those in the church to loving those who are on the outside. But, but he includes uh, here, he gives a hint of that here. He wants us to understand that our Christian love extends not just to those inside the church, but it does, uh, it does seek uh, extend to those on the outside. Jesus, I think, is the source of Paul's teaching here uh, for sure. Luke 6, 28, Jesus said, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. It's a hard verse, isn't it? To bless means you wish someone goodwill, even though they're wishing you bad. Uh, It means to pray for them. It means to do good to them, even though they're doing evil toward you. And again, let's be clear, Jesus and Paul are addressing the abuse that, that comes about through persecution for your faith. He's talking about a very specific kind of abuse here that would come as persecution for your faith. And the point is, is that Christian love is so transforming, it affects even how we love our enemies. If we're slandered for our faith or if we're shunned for our convictions or in worst cases, in prison, exiled, even physically harmed for our faith, we're to love. I think of Acts chapter 7 and Stephen, who you remember was stoned for his faith in Christ and he was praying as he was stoned, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Similar, again, to the prayer of our Lord on the cross. We don't know what happened to all of those who were present at Stephen's stoning, but we do know what happened to one man who was present. And his name was Saul, who became the apostle Paul. And certainly this, he was profoundly moved by Stephen and his faith and love for the Lord. It was part of what led to his conversion Tenth, such love is marked by sympathy. I feel like maybe we should have an intermission, but maybe, no, we should probably just keep going, right? Amen. Everybody okay? Tenth, sympathy. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's a challenging verse too, isn't it? Um, because any given Sunday, there's a mixture of people here that are, 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 are probably falling somewhere in that, that mix. Some rejoicing, some weeping. Um, and, and maybe a prayer has been answered. Maybe there's an unexpected blessing. Um, and, and you're rejoicing today and we rejoice with you. And then at the same time, we're to be weeping with those who are weeping. I think generally speaking, it's easier to weep with those who weep. Uh, than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because when you're, uh, when we're weeping with those who are weeping, we, we're weeping readily with them because we, they've lost perhaps what we fear of losing. And we weep with them. But it's much more of a challenge to rejoice with those who rejoice because they might be attaining or receiving what we've longed to attain and receive. And so, but again, this is how the gospel works. This is, this is the context. This is what Paul is saying, that, that the gospel is so transforming, this renewal of the mind that has happened in you. It enables you to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. 
And it enables you to weep with those who are hurting. This is evidence of the transforming power of Christ in our lives. Eleventh, Christian love is marked by harmony. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. It's almost identical with Paul's challenge to the Philippians when he says in Philippians 2, to to be of the same mind. There's an element of thinking here. This is a call for unity in thinking. The verse literally might read something like this. Think the same way regarding each other. So a Christian, again, is someone who has a renewed mind. Paul's been talking about that since verse 2, a renewed way of thinking in verses 3 and following. That includes not thinking too highly of yourself. And here, it is to think of others first. It is to live in harmony with one another. Uh, Doriani notes this, that when churches experience conflict, here's this quote, we want to dispute because... We want to prove that my way is the right way, but if we put others first, it's easier to drop the contentiousness and work through disagreements in a loving way. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. Live in harmony. Come together in thinking and a unity about these things. And of course, this is tied to the 12th mark, which is humility. Verse 16, the second part, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Yeah, I don't like that verse, right? That part about humility. That's hard. But you know, this is what we're to be pursuing and striving for in Christ, isn't it? And, and, and once again, this is how the gospel transforms us as believers. Wouldn't we expect that this kind of love, that the kind of love that God, the Scripture says, God has poured into us by His Holy Spirit, wouldn't we expect that this Love coming out of us would look like His love in ways that our, the world would look at and say, what? Once you've been loved by Jesus and served by Him, you want to love and serve others. And you're no longer wise in your own eyes, but you're humbled. You're eternally humbled in light of what Christ has done. That's why, again, all of these commands that Paul, uh, we're into the conclusion now in case you're wondering. This is why all of these commands that Paul gives to love only make sense if you see them in the light of the love that Christ has shown to you. That's the only way they can make sense. If you see them in view of God's mercies, as Paul did in verse, from verse 1, you think about the fact and salvation that he has claimed us as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how he loved us. He adds honor by giving us gifts and, and even work to do for his church. Verses 6 through 10. 
He commands us to burn with zeal for his cause. Verse 11, reminding us that it was with zeal that he resolved to suffer and die for us. He he hears our prayers when those tribulations come, verse 12, constant in prayer. He meets our needs, verse 13. And even when we were strangers to him, he, he came near to us through his incarnation. He, he associated with the lowly, that's, that's you and me, and he planned our redemption through his death and resurrection. He went to the cross and died in our place. It's no wonder that John wrote in 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And no wonder as we begin this holy week that on the night he was crucified, he said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Oh, church, let us have ears to hear this and let us commit ourselves to this kind of love. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for these words and we thank you for the specific ways in which you inspired Paul to communicate what this love looks like. And so may each of us, Lord, this morning as we think about this list and we think about the love that Jesus has shown us, may we look at our own hearts and lives our attitudes, our words, and actions. And may we ask, is this the kind of love that I'm pursuing? And if it's not, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you would draw us back to yourself and your word, knowing that If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. I pray today as well for those, someone who may be here who has yet to come into your love, has yet to be saved, have yet to have your love poured into them, that, Lord, even in the hearing of this, that you might use it that they might turn from their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Do this great work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.